You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Verse 5 and the page number is 859 in those pew Bibles. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in, who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honoured as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Suzanne. All right, leave that passage open in your Bibles. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning into next week where we'll get to the rest of the Lord's Prayer. But if you are here last week, you'll know that we started this kind of new section in Jesus' teaching in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. He has addressed in the last section the kinds of ethical demands that he has for his followers, the way they interact with others in the world. And now he's moved into his demands on his followers for their religious activity. And he picks up what was very common and well known to the Hebrew people of the time, these three pillars of religious activity, personal piety. And the three pillars, I've got them on a a slide here for you which will pop up in just a second. And uh, you already know, they are almsgiving, which is giving to the poor, giving one's own resources for the relief of the poor. We looked at that last week. These two weeks, this Sunday and the following, we're going to look at prayer, and then finally fasting. Almsgiving, prayer, fasting, normal um, week-to-week religious activities, both of uh, God's people the Hebrews, the, the Jews, as well as Jesus' followers, and as well as Jesus' followers really up until fairly recently, where we kind of did away with the first and the third, but held on to the middle one. Uh, I don't know why that happened or how. I'll probably get to that next week. But um, these are three things that Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, just expects us to be practicing uh, by way of piety, that is, devotion, Uh, an expression of our devotion to God. So we hit giving last week. If you didn't uh, hear that, then you can just jump on our website and find that sermon. These all kind of hang together, so it's good to uh, keep up to speed with with where we are up to in the sermon. But today we're going to focus on prayer. And the the prayer aspect of Jesus' teaching really sits at the centre of the Sermon on the Mount. It sits at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, which itself, the Sermon on the Mount, is 
at the center of what Jesus wants us to know as his followers, the way that he's inviting us to follow him. It's his manifesto for all of his followers for all of time. So this teaching sits at the, the center of his teaching on piety, which sits at the center of his sermon, which is for all of his followers. And the teaching on prayer itself is central to our understanding of what prayer is and how it functions. That's why at the center of the center of the center of the center of this teaching, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, which has, you know, which is probably the most well-known scripture ever. Uh, it is a prayer that is known even by those who have little to no knowledge of scripture at all. And so this is uh, important stuff that we're coming across this morning. This is central. I, I like the kind of poetic way that... Um, that a uh, New Testament commentator puts it, Frederick Bruner, he says, the Lord's Prayer stretches from the Father at the beginning to the devil at the end, from heaven to hell, and in between, in six brief petitions, everything important to life. So we're going to look at that first part of the prayer this morning, Father in heaven, and next week we're going to get to those petitions, those things that we're to ask of our Father that encompass everything that's important in life. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump right in and I'll reread for you verse 5 to 6. Jesus says, whenever you pray, again, we saw this last week, none of these things are if. If you give, if you pray, if you fast, it's just when. Okay? Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So, very familiar now, this pattern of teaching. Remember, Jesus is teaching a people, most of whom aren't especially literate. He is structuring his sermon in such a way that it will be memorable. And to do that, if you're a teacher, you know it's all about repetition. Um, normally saying things in threes, all right? Just tends to be the how people remember things well. And so he's doing that here. The, it, it, same teaching with the, the almsgiving. It will be the same with the fasting. You've got the same set of characters and setting and plot. All the same. And his warning, yet again, is against doing religious activity for the sake of being known for the sake of applause, for the sake of accumulating social capital. In Jesus' day, as it is in at least in our church, if not in the greater community, the sad truth is that doing good things gets you applause. Doing good things like giving to the poor, praying in public, um, fasting, these things, because they're good and because people in our community value them, if you become known as someone who does them well, then you will accumulate for yourself notoriety, right? That's the danger, and that's what Jesus is trying to preach against, and he makes it the, the, the warning emphatic. Basically, he says, for giving, for praying, for fasting, God the Father has rewards in heaven, and he is eager to give them to you. 
He's not stingy. He's not counting them out, making sure he's got enough. He's a God of abundance, and he abundantly rewards his people for genuine heartfelt acts of worship. Jesus says the issue is you can either have those rewards or the earthly applause of people, but you can't have both. It's similar to what he says in, we'll get to it in, in a couple of weeks' time, about, you know, you can have treasures in heaven or you can have treasures on earth, but you can't have both because you can't serve two masters. So he's really binary in this and he really wants us to get it and he makes the point emphatically through use of hyperbole, which he's really good at, and, um, and, and what he wants us to know from the outset is that we have a choice. We can pray to our Father with a genuine sense of uh, a child coming to a dependable, loving, um, forbearing, uh, generous Father, or we can come like the hypocrites who are just doing it for show. The reward will be congruent with our motivation. I think this becomes probably a more and more difficult thing for us to navigate as we age. Kids are really good at doing some of these things without like a desperate need for affirmation. Kids, because they haven't fallen into the ways of the world so much as we have who are older, are more innocent of this kind of dynamic. And we need to do all we can to preserve that, to show them what the rewards that they, are, they ought to be seeking in giving, praying, fasting, and the rewards that they ought to be avoiding and shirking. Okay, We need to do this from an early age. Some of us have fallen into the wrong habits when it comes to this and are heaping up nothing but temporary applause because we weren't formed well when we were small. So take that kind of innocence that your children have, uh, a, a kind of um, relationship with God where knowing Him is its own reward in a sense and guard against the seeking of applause and temporary reward that they eventually get just by living in the world. I remember my, this kind of point was made starkly to me in 2014. I checked my notes um, this morning because I keep a diary of all the cool things my kids do. And India, in 2014, she must have been three and a half, um, June 2014, she, it was my day off. I was at home playing with her. We were doing, you know, I don't know, crafts probably. Um, and or tea parties, and uh, as we were doing that at the in the vicarage where we used to live, just um, down down the road here, um, there was this big bay window, and there was uh, a bush, and in that bush, a bunch of these little New England honey eaters. You probably see them around. They're little tiny little birds, yellow um, plumage, and they were just buzzing around. It was uh, you know. Um, midwinter, they're getting ready for spring, and the, all the males are showing off. So there are a few of these male birds buzzing around, and then all of a sudden there's just this like thump on the window, and one of these birds uh, had just crashed directly into the window and 
plummeted to the, the rock garden beneath it, and he was just lying there, out for the count. And um, so India was distressed, and um, we went over to the window, and this bird was just, yeah, he was down and out. And um, for my own benefit, as an 80s kid and big fan of Rocky movies, I may have said in a Russian accent, if he dies, he dies. Uh, which happened to me in my notes, that's how I remembered it. So um, India wasn't as cold as all of that, she's in fact a very empathetic young lady and she loves nature and animals and so she did what came to her naturally which was just to bow her head uh, and pray. Um, the bird had been down by this point by, for, I don't know, five minutes at least. So I don't hold a whole lot of hope for the little honey eater, but she doesn't have that cynicism in her. And so she just prayed. She said, um, dear God, thank you for this lovely bird and thank you for healing him in Jesus' name. Amen. And I promise you, as soon as she said amen, that little bird got up, shook itself off and flew away. No, no word of a lie. And her response was just to go, all right, job done, and back to, back to crafts. And my response is like, how was I not like live streaming this on Instagram, Facebook, t TikTok wasn't around, all, all of the things, Twitter, how, how did I not capture it? It would have gone viral, ah, it would have been amazing, everyone would have loved my daughter, right? So that's the difference. We need to do all we can to preserve that, oh yeah. God healed a bird, of course he did, which is its own reward in a sense, added to which God promises eternal rewards for faithful, heart-motivated prayer, and, and try all that we can to avoid letting kids turn into what I turned into, which is, how am I not live-streaming this? We, there's a few things we can do that I think would help, like when you get your kids to say grace, I hope, you get, I hope you guys say grace before meals, when you get your kids to do it, don't turn it into a performance. Whenever we do a performance, it's natural for us to look for the applause once we're done. So if you, t if you turn prayer time before bed or reading the Bible or grace into a performance, kids are naturally going to be looking for the applause. So just starve them of it. That's my, that's my teaching. My teaching is to starve your kids of anything that's going to turn their hearts away from the way God wants them to be. So, that's just a little tip. I mean, it's not in the text, but that came to mind. Just do all you can to help your kids understand prayer from this point of view. It's about heart motivation. It's about genuine connection with their Father in heaven. I get really nervous whenever I hear Anyone refer to someone else as a prayer warrior? I know we don't mean anything negative by it, but if you, if you start pedestaling people as like better prayers than others or, you know, giving them that kind of title, he is the prayer warrior, she is the prayer warrior, I think they haven't done anything wrong, but we have done something wrong to them because we have pushed them more in the direction of the hypocrite who stands on the corner to be seen. So let's just not do that. I would love everyone in this church to be a prayer warrior. 
I would love everyone in this church to grow in strength and power in their prayers, but let's not put anyone on a street corner. You know what I mean? All right. What Jesus is getting at here uh, is that our motivation is everything when it comes to prayer, particularly public prayer. This is just his, his one point. His big idea through the whole sermon is that Christian life, following him, is about heart. It's about righteousness, which is heart-deep, whole-body behavior that accords with God's kingdom, God's will, God's nature. So it's worth saying just very briefly, because it kind of, at least in my reading um, around, I was looking around this week at, at little commentaries on this, and, um, and not so much commentaries, but just uh, stuff people have said um, about this. There are some who are saying, if you have public prayer in your church, then you are sinning. Um, if you say grace out loud at the table, you are sinning. These are the people who take the Bible and just make it this wooden hammer that everything has to be interpreted absolutely literally, which is why I wonder why I don't see more, more of them with like missing a hand and an eye, if you just go back a few verses, right? But that Jesus isn't saying don't ever pray in public. When he says, when you pray, verse 6, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, this is not a prohibition against praying in public. The easiest way to know this is just to look at Jesus' life and see how many times he prays in public. Right? He's not, he doesn't contradict himself. He's not a sinner. If you say that you can only ever pray silently in a cupboard, then you're saying Jesus is a sinner and you've got a whole lot more problems than just your view of prayer. Okay? His point, again, is this exaggerated point, just like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you give. He's making an emphatic point about the need for us to examine our hearts and make sure our motivation is pure, it's righteous, it's about Jesus, not about the accumulation of adulation. Check your heart, Jesus says. And so he goes on. Verse 7 and 8. You guys still with me? Praise the Lord. He says, when you pray, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. It's interesting. We know, we've got in the historical record a lot of pagan prayers from the first century so it's interesting to be able to read them and see what Jesus had in mind when he's saying this and essentially the, the prayers of the pagans grew out of their sense of who God is this is true of all religious people ever if I want to know what you think of God who he is I'll just listen to your prayers it'll tell me a lot I had a friend once and I noticed that in his prayers he never addressed God as father just never just God as father. And I found out later that he had a really abusive father. And so it was really hard for him to come before God and acknowledge him as father. The point is, if I listen to your prayers, I'll learn fairly quickly who you think God is. And it was the same with the pagan Gentiles. So who did they think God was? 
Well, first of all, they didn't have a concept of God. They had gods. They had gods for everything. God, gods for the gutters, right? Gods for the toilets. Gods for everything. Because here's, the, here's the, just the, the, the hard truth. First century people, even living in the Mediterranean that was pretty cushy by um, comparison to other places in the world, but even there, life is hard, life is short, life is dangerous, And so the prayers of the pagans reflected that truth. There are many gods, life is dangerous, and so my prayers are going to just be like this scattergun um, approach to prayer where all through the day I'm just going to be praying to whatever gods are going to listen. And you don't know which god got out of bed on the right side that morning and which god is looking favorably upon you. The gods are capricious and they're vindictive and so the best thing you can do is just spray your prayers out as much as you can see this a little bit today in some people who are like i'm not just going to you know worship jesus i'm going to worship all of them because at least then i'm going to hit someone all right that was their view it's an anxious method of prayer i find myself and have found myself all through my life doing this in a Christian version of it. If I'm particularly anxious about something, I will think to pray, and then as I get lost in worry about the thing that's making me anxious, I will find myself just saying the same thing over and over and over again. God, please help me. God, please do... You know, just unthinkingly, disconnected from any relationship, just, it's just anxiety. It's obsessive-compulsive. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Don't babble. The issue is not the many words. Again, Jesus is not saying you can't pray for a long time. Again, in the Gospels, we see him staying all night to, up all night to pray, which he couldn't do if what he's saying here is only pray short prayers. Right? The issue is not the length of the prayer or the location of the prayer. The issue is the motivation of the prayer. He says, don't babble, don't sort of anxiously recite mantras. Don't take the Lord's Prayer for the love of God. Don't take the Lord's Prayer and then just put it on a plaque and stand before it and pray over and over again. Don't pray to saints thinking that maybe because of... it's just That's just a pagan version of Christianity. They had the many gods. We have the many saints. Maybe one of them will look favorably upon me. You can see the mirror image, right? It's just Christianized paganism. No... Come to your Father knowing that He already knows what you need. Pray to God like a child speaks to their daddy. When you come to God, you don't need to... Oh, this, is, this is the image that came to mind for me this morning, right? Some of us come to God in prayer, and it's like what happens to me so often when you come to a login for a website and you've forgotten your, your, your password. And it's like, yeah, I'll try that one. No, no this one. No, oh, then I had a variation on that with an exclamation mark. Try that. And it's just, that's where we come to... We, just, we, need, we need to unlock God's favor, and we've got to just keep trying until we, it clicks. That's the pagan version of prayer. It's incantation. It's spell casting. It's password attempts. 
God says, you don't need a password to get into the throne room of grace. All you need to do is boldly approach. Yeah. Jesus says, verse 8, don't be like them that heap up empty phrases. Don't be like them that babble on. Why? Because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. God knows you, another way of thinking about it is God knows you better than you know yourself. So don't pray to a God in such a way that it reflects that you don't know him and that he doesn't know you. That's pagan prayer. I don't really know who this God is. He's out there somewhere and he doesn't really know who I am. He's too far away from me. Don't pray like that. Instead, pray like a child to a father. There's no manipulation required, no special formula, just a child with a father. I'll tell you another story about India. She doesn't do this so much anymore, but definitely when she was younger, she had this formula for getting me to give her stuff. Um, nine out of ten times she's already asked Renee and she said no, but she knows I'm way softer. And so she comes to me and she's got this look on her face and she calls it the cute face. And it's like a cartoon kitten, like just all big eyes and she's all small. Daddy, I was just wondering if... And that's called manipulation. (laughs) And she learned that word very early on. And some of us come to God like that. We think he's probably going to say no to just about everything we ask for. And so we kind of adopt this cute face prayer thing. Where we're just like tugging on his, the hem of his robe and saying, sorry to interrupt, but I'm just wondering. That's not how a child speaks to a father who is abundantly generous and eager to pour out blessing. Jesus talks about this. We're going to get to it in a few weeks' time. It's in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. I think it's 9 to 10. 9 to 11. He says, Who among you, speaking to fathers, he says, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, he's talking about the average father in the room, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That's what God's like. That's who you're praying to. He's a good father. He's an abundant father. He is generous. He wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour blessings on you according to his good and perfect will. So no manipulation required, no incantation, no spell casting, no password attempts, just Come to your father like a child. What does that look like? We're going to see the rest of our time now and into next week. We're going to see what that looks like. Jesus is going to give us the example. The example. The foundational starting point for all of Christian prayer. So, verse 9 to 10, he says, Therefore... With all of that in mind, therefore, 
you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honoured as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the starting point. And his starting point in giving us this model prayer is very intentional. Everything Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer is absolutely essential. Not that we say it like a parrot after him, but that though the aspects of what he says are present in our prayers when we come before our Father. It's all killer, no filler. All right? There's nothing, no lines here that you're like, oh, I don't know, yeah. It's all there for a reason. And the beginning point is essential. So if you, think, if you remember nothing of anything else I've said, and shame on you. <laughs> no, 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 hang on. If you remember nothing else, then remember this. The starting point, the place where Jesus begins as he teaches us how to pray like he prays, the starting point is essential. He begins... With God's honour, God's kingdom, God's will. These things, starting here, is the antidote for all of our weak, self-centred, pretend prayers. All of your prayers, all of mine that are weak and self-centred, have their antidote in the beginning of Jesus' model prayer. Father, your honour, your kingdom, your will. So this is, I want to hammer this. Where you begin is important. Where you begin is vital. Got another hiking story for you. I know this is all I've got now, but it's pretty much all I do apart from being here or at home. So bear with me. My kids need to do more cool stuff. Um, to, yeah, anyway, I was on Friday. I'm walking through... Um, what I'm referring to now pretty much as my gorge, which is uh, Werribee Gorge, Pentland Hills, just the other side of Bacchus Marsh. Friday was a magnificent day for walking. And I, it took me twice as long to get around because I just had to stop frequently and say, oh my God, thank you for this. I get ministered to richly through, yes, reading this book, which is God's, but also reading the other book of his creation. So anyway, I'm making my way around, and it's beautiful. There's hardly a soul there. It's serene. It's worship. And then as I'm coming around, you come uh, through the bottom of the, the valley here, you come to a point where you've got to switch back and start making your way up and over the ridge, and as I was coming up to the point around the, the end there, I couldn't see around here because the, there's a ridge line that runs down, but I could hear three young male voices arguing in a foreign language, loudly echoing through the canyon. And as I came around, I came across these three young guys, I don't know, 18, 19, uni students probably, Overseas students, I'm guessing, um, Asian appearance, I don't know where they were from, but they were arguing and they had this tattered kind of map that they'd printed out. And so I went up to them and said, 
are you guys okay? And uh, in just in sort of halting English, we had a little conversation, and they said, we are not meant to be here. We are not meant to be here. I was, uh, <laughs> it's a very existential thing to say. Um, and, and then the, the leader of the, of, it, of the posse said, we are meant to be here, and pointed on the map, and where he pointed was exactly the opposite to where they were, a couple of hours away from where they were. And so I said, no, no, no you're here. You're, at the, you're down here. Um, that's over, over, over there. And, um, and they said, no, no, we started here and pointed a place on the map, which there's no way they could have started at. Anyway, long story short, we finally figured out, and it took a while, that they thought they started at one trailhead when they actually started at another. They stopped at the first one instead of continuing a few k's to the one they were meant to go to. And so, this is the story. This is the, the, have, you got the, have you got the point? Because they didn't start in the right place, they got completely lost. And so it is with our prayers. We will get lost in that anxious, obsessive, compulsive thing that I was talking about, heaping up empty phrases, get, you know, weak, self-centered prayers if we begin at the wrong place. The trailhead for all of Christian prayer is this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, yes, we will get to all of that other stuff. We will get to basic daily needs. We will get to confession and forgiveness. We will get to these things, but first, the trailhead is vital. Where we begin is vital. Let me just make this point for us in a way that I th- just made a little bit more sense to me. Switching translations, I love the CSB that we use, Christian Standard Bible. I find it helpful sometimes to take a translation that's more sort of dynamically translated, something like the message, or there's um, another one that I can't remember. Um, but there's a, a, a translation of the New Testament by Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, called the, the New Testament for Everyone. And this is his translation of, of that same passage. And I just like the way it's structured. It kind of helps me see the point Jesus is trying to make. This is his translation. So this is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honoured. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. That's the prayer of a Christian person. That's the prayer of a follower of Jesus. That's the prayer of someone who knows that Jesus is Lord and that in his coming he brought about the kingdom of God and now the followers of Jesus are fully invested all of life, all about Jesus in the kingdom of God coming on the earth. So our prayer before anything else is to pray that so it is in heaven. If you can imagine, in heaven, that is where God is. Without sin, without brokenness, without blasphemy. As it is in heaven, so it should be on earth. That's the tension that every Christian carries around with them. 
I love this world. I, walking through that gorge was a worshipful experience. I love the gift of God in the stuff that we have. I thank him for everything, I, every, every breath I take. I delight to be part of his creation, but I also know this is not the way things ought to be. This is incomplete. It's now and not yet. And so my deep desire as a follower of Jesus is that God's name would be honoured here like it is there. That his kingdom would come here like it is there. That his will would be done here like it is there. And then I started thinking, this is cool. This is, you can actually see these three things interact with one another. There's a dynamic here that we should be seeking. So that as God's name is honoured on the earth, so you get the others that come in with it. As his name is honoured on the earth, so his kingdom comes on earth. And so his will is done on earth. And as his kingdom comes on earth, so his name is honoured on earth. And so his will is done and so on. Right? It's this it's like Trinitarian thing going on there. A dynamic that every Christian should be seeking as first priority. I'm so grateful I got rescued from myself very early after my conversion. I got taken in by this group of radical Christians and they called themselves the 268 generation and they modeled themselves after Isaiah 26 verse 8 which is something like, Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your truth, we eagerly wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. I, that was the first scripture I memorized. We want to walk in your ways. We want to walk in your truth, in your laws, in your word. And we're eagerly waiting for you, for your kingdom to come, your will to be done. Because your name, not mine, your renown, that means like indelible memory, um, fame, your fame. Your celebrity are the desire of our souls, our hearts. It's an expression of what Christians should truly value, and it's a conviction that I'm not yet there yet, but I want to be. That's what this prayer does to us. That's what it should do to us. I just want to encourage you by way of application Take this, even if it's just that slice of this prayer, this week as you wait for us to get to the rest of it next week, and just pray that into every circumstance you find yourself in. This prayer is portable and applicable. So you're having troubles at home in your relationship with your wife? Then spare yourself the time and energy you burn trying to be right and show her that you're right, and pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honoured, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in this marriage as it is in heaven. I've got that written, that very prayer written on a little card, and I plastered it on our bedhead in our home, because I so want our home to be full of God's honour and his kingdom and his will. You just plug it in to, I don't know, stuck in traffic, 
waiting in line at Woolworths, trying not to lose your mind with your kids. I don't know. This is an all-of-life prayer. In this situation, in the midst of this heartbreak, or in the midst of this celebration, Father, may your name be honoured, your kingdom come, your will be done. Just imagine your life if for this week that prayer was answered. In your life, God's name was honoured here and now like it is in heaven. His kingdom would come in the same way. His will would be done in the same way. This is the now and not yet prayer of the Christian. Pray it. You don't graduate from the Lord's Prayer when you get out of Sunday school. You don't. You never do. You get better at changing, adapting it, and expanding it, and amplifying it, but you never graduate from it. So, anyway, that's all I got. I just wanted to end this quite abruptly because we haven't made a conclusion here. It's like the Netflix thing where the next show is going to start in 10 seconds. Ours is in seven days, all right? I'd love you to come back as we pick up the rest of what Jesus had to say. It's no less important than where he began. Um, We're going to sing God's praises together now. We're going to sing a few songs together. And uh, I want to give you this opportunity to come and pray. Exercise what Jesus has taught you. Come over here. We've got a corner here of the building we call the prayer corner. Um, come pray. I'd love to pray with you. There'll be others um, who would love to pray with you during this time. Uh, it's also a, an opportunity for us to give financially to the work of the gospel in this church and beyond. So if you want to give cash, there'll be bags coming around at some point in the next two or three songs. Um, and... Uh, And please come back next week. There's more to learn. Let me just bless us as we finish. Father, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. I pray that everything meaningful and true would stay with us and find its root in our hearts. And Father, we pray that your name would be honored, that your kingdom would come, and that your will would be done as in heaven. So in Red Door Church and in Caroline Springs and in Melbourne and Australia and to the ends of the earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.